Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Burgess Hill. This message is by Colin Urquhart. Well, it's great to be with you again this week and to follow on from what we were talking about last week when in revealing Jesus, we talked about what he has accomplished for us in the first minute. The first minute of our lives when we were saved. The first minute really when we get up in the morning. The first minute when we pray and worship the Lord. How we can live in the good of the truth of all that he has accomplished for us. This is really part two of that message. So if you are unable to receive part one, it's up there on the Kingdom Faith website and you can download it and listen to it later. But let me just remind every one of us a little of what was said last time. That it's extraordinary that God regards us as holy, blameless in his sight, made righteous, made totally acceptable to him, made perfect forever. And all that is the result of what he accomplished through his blood, through his sacrifice on the cross, as we discovered last week. This, then, is our starting point. It isn't that we are unholy, ungodly, miserable, wretched failures. Our starting point is what God has made us. And even though we fail to live in the fullness of that, in perfection, in the way that Jesus did while he was on earth, yet the wonderful thing is that whatever happens in our natural life, our soul life, that cannot in any way change the truth about us in the spirit of what God has accomplished for us. So even though I might not be perfect in everything I do and think and say, that cannot rob me of the perfection that I have in Christ. So every time that God forgives me for my sins, he restores me to that perfection. Every time he forgives me for whatever is unrighteous in my sight, he restores me to that righteousness. What, whatever he, he does to forgive me for any unholiness in my life then restores me to that holiness. That is my starting point. And we saw these scriptures last time, and let me just remind you that the wonderful thing is that in Christ there cannot be anything imperfect. That's why God had to make you perfect before he could put you into Christ. And we read in Ephesians 1:13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were then marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance that is to come. But this was your starting point, you see. When you first heard the gospel, of salvation and believed, then all these truths became truth for you. And we saw in Ephesians 1 verse 4 that he chose us in him before the creation of the world 
to be holy and blameless in his sight. This is what he chose us for. When he chose you, when he called you to be his child, to be the one who would follow him and serve him, he chose you to be holy and blameless in his sight. And that's why the Father sent Jesus to die on the cross. That's why Jesus gave his life so willingly out of love for us on the cross to make us holy and blameless in his sight. And then we, we saw in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. But we saw also that although these are the truths for us in the spirit and in our natural soul life, sadly, we fail and sin sometimes and can grieve the Lord and certainly we do not live in perfect obedience to his will. Yet that does not in any way take away the truths of the spirit. So we need to submit our soul life to the spirit. And the more we surrender our natural lives to God day by day, Lord, I yield to you today, everything in my life, my spirit, my soul, my, my body to be glorified in you as that is the desire of our heart. So then more of the truth of who we are in the spirit will impact our soul. What that means in practice is that people will see more and more of Jesus in us. They'll be able to receive more of his life, of his love, of his power through our lives. And that's what God intends. He has made us his witnesses here in the world, and we have the responsibility of seeing his kingdom extended, of seeing the kingdom of God advancing in our nation and in the nations of the world. So we saw also that there is this, this process that goes on in our soul life where we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. We saw in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes again, you see he's coming for the blameless and you are one of the blameless because of what Jesus has done for you. And he is wanting to transform you from one degree of glory to another. Why? Because you want him to do that. He won't do that against your will. He only works in our lives in cooperation with our will. So we surrender our wills to him. Now, if you listen carefully to that scripture, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, make you holy, make you more like Jesus. The God of peace. We need to talk a little bit about the peace of God this morning. Look at what it says in Job chapter um, 21 in the truth version. Draw near to the Lord. Sorry, chapter 23, verse 21. Draw near to the Lord and make peace with him. In this way, you will prosper. You see, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, you made peace with him. You know, in days of revival in former centuries, 
People didn't say, have you been saved, or do you know Jesus, or do you love Jesus? The question they usually asked was, have you made your peace with God? Have you made your peace with God? You see, he is the God of all peace. Now, we think of peace as being the absence of noise or the absence of conflict. But the peace of God is not just the absence of something, it is the presence of something. It is entirely positive. It's what God imparts to us that enables us to actually be the people that he wants us to be. So, when Jesus um, spoke to his disciples and just before he was going to the cross, he said to them in John 14, I leave you with the gift of peace. It is my peace that I give to you. Because you have my peace, there will be no need to allow your hearts to become fearful or troubled. That's the truth version. Let me read it again. I leave you with the gift of peace. It is my peace that I give to you. Because you have my peace, there is no need to allow your hearts to become fearful or troubled. This is a wonderful gift. That peace takes out of our lives the fear, and the concern about whatever would cause us to be troubled. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. So in John 16, verse 33, we read Jesus saying, I have told you these things, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So it is this gift of peace that God gives us that not only takes away fear, but enables us to overcome. And because we live in a fallen world, there are many situations and many circumstances in which we need to overcome. And it's having this peace with God that enables us to live at one with him so that we are able to overcome because our trust is in him and not in ourselves. This is this wonderful gift that he gives to us whenever we trust him. When, when we give in to our anxious thoughts, we have stopped at that moment trusting in him as the God of peace, as the God who actually enables us to overcome, the God who gives us victory. So when Jesus came and stood among his disciples in his risen body, we read in John 20, again Jesus said, peace be with you. Now, this is the important thing. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I'm sending you from this position of peace. I'm sending you from this, this place that you have of being totally at peace, at one with me, in unity with me because of all that I've done and accomplished for you, all the truths of that first minute, I'm sending you in the good of all of that. I'm sending you to take the life of my kingdom, to take the life of the gospel. I'm sending you to take the truth out into the world. 
just as I came from heaven and lived the heavenly life so that then I could impact the lives of others with that heavenly life. So I'm calling you to exactly the same thing, that your mission in the world is first of all to live the heavenly life and then to take that heavenly life to others so that they too may become part of my kingdom. And you see, this is what Jesus was telling us to pray for. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, it's very easy for Christians to mistakenly think that what we're doing now is living an earthly life before we go to heaven. But that's not how God sees it. He says, no, 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 you are now living the heavenly life on earth. And although you may live that imperfectly, you will live that heavenly life perfectly in glory once I come again and take you to myself. So <clears throat> we are greatly privileged because we have this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven within us, and we are able to live that life and to impart that life, to share that life, to make that life known to others. And then uh, in Jeremiah, in Isaiah 55, God says, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. You see, he sends us out in peace, but he leads us in peace. And there's a great relationship in Scripture between the peace of God and the joy of the Lord. And we know that we're to rejoice always, to give thanks in all circumstances. But there's no time to, to talk about the joy this morning. But just understand, you have this wonderful gift of God's peace. And what you want to do is to impact the lives of others that they too come and make their peace with God and know that peace. So we read in Jeremiah 33, I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. There's a, a relationship between this peace and healing. You remember in the great prophecy of the cross in Isaiah 53, that, that uh, in the end of chapter 52 and then 53, God says that the sacrifice, the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon Jesus and by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. There's that relationship between peace and healing. And a lot, of, a lot of Christians don't understand that. When you need healing, the first thing you need is peace. That if you have peace in your soul, then your body is going to respond to that. Conflict, fear, aggravation in the soul actually affects the body in an adverse way. So this peace actually enables us to have victory. Paul says in uh, Philippians 4, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This peace guards your heart. It keeps, uh, guards your mind, keeps out of your thinking, out of your believing, anything that is going to be, cause tension between you and God. You know in any relationship, when there's tension, there's, there's no peace and, 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 you know, things have got to be reconciled, things have got to be put right, so there's peace is restored to that relationship. Well, it's just the same with God. 
that when we are at peace with God, we know everything is right. It is right, it is right with my soul. So praise God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says this, Let the peace of Christ rise in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. So God sends us out in peace. He leads us in peace. We are called to be at peace because we have made peace with him. And that peace passes all understanding, keeps our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God. So this peace is the key to living in victory. And because there are so many situations in our lives and, and in the others for whom we pray where victory is needed, it's very important for us to understand this relationship between living in the peace of God, living in the good of the first minute, and being able to overcome in the circumstances of our lives, especially in those circumstances that are problematic. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 6, in the truth version. Lord, you have revealed your glory through the power of your right hand. For your right hand has smashed the enemy in pieces. You have overthrown those who opposed, those who are opposed to me, those who are opposed to you, those who are opposed to God by the greatness of your majestic power. We believe in the God who overcomes, who smashes the enemy in pieces. And, and the, the original Hebrew there, that's what the word means. Not just to break, but to smash in pieces. Things that cannot then be put together again. That's the kind of victory that God wants to see in our lives. You know, victory and triumph is, is a funny thing in the, in the Christian world because you listen to some Christians and they, they, they almost criticize you for living in victory. They say, oh, you're just being triumphal. And I say, yes, I'm triumphal because I'm supposed to be triumphal. The Bible says that I'm to live in triumph, that God always leads me in his triumphal procession in Christ Jesus. I'm supposed to live in victory. Now that doesn't mean that victory is always easy to establish. And sometimes we have to go through a process where God leads us into that victory, as we shall see a little later. But in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 4, God says, The Lord goes before you himself on your behalf against your enemies, and so gives you victory. Now I want you to understand Everything, everything that we're talking about is a gift from God, right? That forgiveness is a gift from Him. Making us blameless is a gift from Him. Making us righteous is a gift from Him. Making us holy in His sight is a gift from Him. Making us perfect forever is a gift from Him. His peace is a gift from Him. His victory is a gift from Him. Now, if we are living in all these things that he gifts to us, there is no point in us trying to establish those things ourselves in our own strength. So we cannot create the peace of God. He gives it to us as his gift. We cannot actually create victory. 
we're not trying to establish a victory of our own. We're living in the victory that God has won for us on the cross and is communicated to us by His Spirit. So many of you will know the beginning of Psalm 47. Clap your hands and shout to God in triumph, all you people of the earth. I mean, this is, this is being addressed to everybody. Why? Because God has won the victory for everybody. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great King who reigns over all the earth. Clap your hands, shout in triumph, all you people of the earth. We've got much to shout about, haven't we? Because we know the victory of the Lord. We are actually those who have received the victory of the Lord. All those things that we've just mentioned, this is the victory of Christ in you. He, he overcomes that natural, and all the natural failure, all the sin, He overcomes through His mercy and His grace. So in Romans chapter 4, we read this, and just look at this carefully on the screen. We now live in the good of what he accomplished. He succeeded where we all failed miserably, so that we can now live as if we had succeeded, <laughs> because we're living in his success. Can you see that? His success has become our success, so long as we no longer live in the weakness of our old sinful nature, trusting in ourselves, but now live led by and filled with God's Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is given. The Holy Spirit is God Himself, remember. The third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God Himself, has come to live in you to enable you to live in victory, to enable you to live at peace with Him and at victory, in victory, over everything that comes against you. Hallelujah, you said. <laughs> so then we, we read this uh, in Romans 8. In all these things, we are more than victorious through him, more than conquerors. You see, how can you be more than a conqueror? Well, you're victorious or you conquer if you overcome something. But if somebody else overcomes on your behalf and you don't even have to do the fighting that overcomes, then you're more than victorious. You've just received the victory. You've received that triumph as a gift from God. For He has already won the victory for us and demonstrated such love for us. So we're living in peace with God because of all those truths of the first minute, we are living a victorious life. And I'll talk about suffering in a minute, but we do live a victorious life over suffering because of our life in Christ Jesus. But it's important to understand that this is a work of the Spirit within us. So when Paul is talking to the Corinthians, in the second letter, chapter 10, he said, with the weapons of truth, we demolish rational arguments that oppose the walk of faith. 
we have the answer to every false way of thinking that seeks to undermine the truth about God. We exercise authority in the way we think, denying negative or rebellious thoughts and accepting only those that glorify Jesus so that we might obey him. <clears throat> now, I expect, like me, you can sometimes have negative thoughts. I trust not too many rebellious thoughts or any at all, <clears throat> but all of us can be subject time at times to negative thoughts. But you see, we take authority over that. Listen, you have Christ in you, right? You have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ living in you. I guarantee this. The Holy Spirit will never, ever give you a negative thought. Christ in you will never give you a negative thought. Everything about him, everything about the Spirit is positive. So he will always inspire positive thinking. We have the mind of Christ, not in the soul, but in the spirit. We saw that last time. And the mind of Christ will always give us what is positive. So when you have negative thoughts, those thoughts have come from one of two sources, either from the devil because he opposes the truth or else from your own flesh. So what Paul is saying here is we stand against all that negative thinking because it hasn't come from God. It hasn't come from the Holy Spirit. It's either come from the devil, and I'm not going to allow the devil to mess up with my mind, or it's come from my own flesh. But what God says to me very clearly in his word, that now I have died to living the flesh. I've died to living for myself, and now I'm living for God. I'm living for his glory so that the truths of the first minute can radiate in my life and shine out of my life to impact the lives of other people. So I'm not going to have any truck with any of this negative thinking. As soon as a negative thought comes into my mind, I'm going to dismiss it. I'm, if, if, if it's come from me, I'm going to say, Father, forgive me. If it's come from the enemy, I'm going to take the shield of faith with which I can quench all the fiery darts of the evil one, saying, I'm not receiving that. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's negative. He's the deceiver of the brethren. That's negative. And he can actually use other people, even other Christians sometimes, to accuse you. And you say, no, I refuse to accept that. That has not come from the enemy. Correction is not the same as accusation. Accusation puts you down and condemns you. Correction helps you. And God in his love corrects us, as we shall see in a moment. So... <clears throat> We have to keep our minds and our hearts clear of the negativity. Now, how are we to do all this? Well, the scripture is very clear that what we have to do every day is to get dressed. Now, I take it that after you've had your shower or bath in the morning, you are not prepared to go out into the world naked. And I can assure you that everybody else is also very pleased that you do not go out into the world naked. You get dressed. Well, what God says to us in his word is we need to get dressed spiritually. Now, you probably think, oh, he's going to talk about put on the armor of God. No, he's not talking about that. We, we, we need to 
be clothed with the armor of God, all right. But what the Scripture says is we are to be clothed with Christ. Clothed with Christ. What is more, we have to clothe ourselves with Christ. So, if I don't clothe myself with Christ, I'm going to be spiritually naked, which means that what people will receive is me, not Christ in me. They will just be on the receiving end of who and what I am naturally rather than who and what I am spiritually. So let's just look at some of the scriptures, just a few of the scriptures about this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, sorry, I'm, I'm looking at the wrong scripture. I just have all these scriptures written out here. In Romans chapter 13, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Clothe yourself with Christ. How do you do that? The first minute. What does it mean to clothe yourself with Christ? To put on all those truths of who you are in Christ. This is why this is the, the way to start every day, not just every prayer time or every worship time, but when you get up in the morning, clothe yourself with Christ. Put on all these wonderful truths of who you are. Then pray that the Holy Spirit will enable you, will graciously work in your life to enable you to live clothed with Christ. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on. Put on. You see, here, here are all these truths of you in the Spirit. Here is your soul life, right? Now, you put on to your soul life all these wonderful truths of the Spirit every day. You get dressed every day. You go out every day in the good of what you have put on. You've put on Christ. So then he says, uh, it, it says in, in Isaiah 61, because this idea of being clothed with the truth does not begin in the New Testament. Prophetically, it began in the Old Testament. And in Isaiah 61, the prophet wrote this, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in the robe of righteousness. Do you remember when the, in the parable, the prodigal son who'd gone right away from the father and wasted his inheritance, 
When he came back, the father went to meet him, gave him a great big hug and a kiss. And, and the son started to speak his pre-prepared speech. I've sinned against heaven and before the, you know, no worthy, no longer worthy to be called your. And the father cuts across all that and speaks to the servants and say, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Get him dressed again. Get him dressed with the robe of righteousness. Get him dressed again with the robe of Jesus Christ. And then, dressed properly, he can go in with the Father into the feast. Isn't that wonderful? It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Of just this amazing way in which God, even, even when people have gone right away from him and, and, and abandoned him, having once known him, he still welcomes back the backslider, blesses him, puts him or her, puts on him or her that best robe, that robe of righteousness. Oh, we must, we must carry on. Now, we, we come to 2 Corinthians 9, because you see, all this is the work of God's grace, isn't it? I mean, he's just gracious to us all the time. When, when uh, John began his uh, gospel, he, he spoke of what it meant to actually live with Jesus, like he and the other uh, apostles lived with him for the three, three and a half years that, of his ministry. He said, from his grace, from, from, from his presence with us, we receive grace upon grace, from the fullness of his life, grace upon grace. He just gave and gave and gave. And that's really God's experience in our lives, that he gives and gives and gives. Oh, he doesn't always give us exactly what we want when we want, because sometimes we can ask for things mm -hmm, that we just want for ourselves, or we want in the wrong way or at the wrong time. God is too wise to spoil us as his children. He treats us in the best possible way. So he is able to cause all his grace to overflow in your lives so that in all things, at all times, you will have all that you need and more besides so that you will overflow in the way you bless others. And this is what it's all about. It's not about just being blessed ourselves. It's about being able to overflow with the life of God, with the life of Jesus, with the blessings of Jesus, so that others get blessed. Others get impacted by his life and his love and his power, by his grace, his healing. It's living for others and not yourself and realizing that the measure you give is the measure you get back, that the more you live for others, the more you are able to prosper yourself, the more you actually get blessed yourself. That actually just to seek your own blessing without wanting to be a blessing to others is a self-defeating thing. But as soon as, uh, as your intention, your desire is, is to be like a conduit like, like, uh, of blessing to other people, you receive from God and pass the blessing on to others, then God is, is going to bless you so abundantly because he knows that you're not just living a selfish life for yourself, but you really are concerned about his will and his purpose and seeing his kingdom extended. 
Now, all this is so wonderful. But we're living in the real world. And in the real world, Jesus says you will have trouble, tribulation, great trouble. Why? Because we live in a fallen world where there is a lot of opposition to the gospel. And Jesus makes it very clear that all those who serve him will be treated in the same way that he was. And he tells us not to be surprised about that. Negative things are bound to happen to us. And we are bound to be in situations which are very negative, troublesome, difficult to cope with. Now, what we have to understand, first of all, is although that is often our experience, that just as sin cannot rob us of all the truths of the first minute, neither can any of our circumstances. In other words, God is wanting us to live in the good of all those truths of the first minute in the middle of whatever happens to us in the world. When it's good, but when it's not so good. When there's opposition, when there's difficulty, when we're suffering. Now, you know, there are some believers that almost make people feel guilty if they suffer or if they are sick or if any negative thing happens. They give the impression, well, if you believe Jesus, everything will be right all the time and you won't have any problems and you'll never be sick. And... But as we look at the Gospels, we see that Jesus, who lived in perfection, he suffered. Suffered all the way through his ministry. He suffered rejection, suffered persecution, and of course, ultimately, he suffered in the ultimate way on the cross. You look at the Acts of the Apostles, you, you read what is written in the epistles, and you see that it was the common practice of all the believers in the early church to suffer. They suffered for the sake of the gospel. Sometimes they suffered sickness. But it didn't mean that they had lost their salvation or that God was displeased or that God was punishing them. No, no. He bore our punishment on the cross. God does not use sickness or suffering as a punishment. God is our great redeemer. And what that means is that he turns every situation around and brings good out of it. Think for a moment of the cross. The devil thought that he had Jesus exactly where he wanted him. At last, he was being killed. But the cross turned out to be the great victory and triumph over the devil. The devil didn't understand that at the time, but he sure knows it now, that the blood of Jesus has overcome all the works of the evil one. You see, what God was doing was redeeming the suffering. Paul talked about 
death being at work in him, that life may be at work in others. And sometimes it's going to be costly to follow Jesus. Didn't he say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross? Not the cross, not, we, we, we don't take up Jesus' cross, we take up our cross. Whatever we have to face, endure, suffer for the sake of the gospel. You read the second letter to Corinthians and you see that Paul talks um, on two occasions at some length about all that he suffered for the sake of the kingdom, but he never complains. To him it's, well, this is inevitable. To live the life of the kingdom of God in a fallen world, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be rejection. And yes, there's going to be suffering of all different kinds. And the Lord says that he can actually use these difficult circumstances for our good. There will be many, many people, and I would be among them, that would say that when we go through a really difficult time, God can do things in us that he probably would not be able to do at any other time. It's because in those difficult times, we have to depend upon him more. We have to lean upon him more. We have to yield ourselves to him more. It isn't that he's punishing us. It's that he's using difficult situations. He's redeeming those difficult situations. doesn't mean he wants them or he's causing them, but he's using them for our good because in all things, God works together for our good. So we read in Proverbs 3, verse 11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And Jesus himself, when he was talking to the disciples at, at the Last Supper, talked about being branches of the vine. And the Father is the one who tends the vine. And what does, what does he say in, in verse 2 of chapter 15? That the Father cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Pruning, my dear friends, is often a painful process because what he's doing is pruning out of our lives things of self that are a contradiction to all those truths of the first minute. And in that way, you see, he is changing us more into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. So just as we bring this to a close, I want you to listen to what Peter says in his first letter, chapter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. See, it's not strange, it's not peculiar that we suffer 
some kind of opposition, some kind of conflict, rejection, or whatever else the world or the enemy would want to throw at us. But rejoice inasmuch that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. What we suffer in this life, whatever it costs us to be faithful and obedient to Jesus, is nothing really compared to what he suffered for us. Neither can you compare the little bit that we suffer with the glory that is to be revealed, the glory in which we will live for all eternity. A few years where, I mean, let's face it, it's only self that really suffers more than anything else. That's what we don't like, but that's what is necessary because we want more and more of that Jesus life, of that that wonderful, wonderful truth of the first minute to impact our lives now. So, let me just encourage you because you think, oh, I was so greatly encouraged until you started to talk about suffering. No, 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 no. If we understand the place of suffering, then we can understand something in a positive way that God will positively redeem every situation. He would turn it round and use it for good and he will lead us through to victory in every one of those situations. He will do that because of his great love for us. What we have to learn to do, beloved ones, is this. That when we go through times of conflict, when we go through these difficult times, when we pray, and it, it sometimes seems like the heavens are as brass, you know, we wonder, is God around? Does he know what's happening? Does he understand what I'm going through? When it seems that there is no answer for a while, this is a testing of our faith that we hold on to all those truths of the first minute and we do not doubt them even for a second. And we know that God will bring us through whatever we have to face so that those truths will actually then be reflected in our lives and we will continue to live at peace even during the times of difficulty and conflict. And we will come to that place of triumph, of victory over those circumstances, always in God's way and in God's time. But he is faithful and that is what he will cause to happen. So, beloved, God has done all these wonderful things for us, gifted us all these great and mighty truths that we may live in the good of them, knowing that in the world there will be tribulation, there will be great trouble because the world does not live in the same way. The world is actually opposed to the life of the kingdom. 
but we will be true to God and we will hold fast to his word and we will hold fast to all of these truths. We will not let them out of our sight, but we will keep them in our hearts. We will keep confessing them over our lives that every day when we get up, no matter what is happening to us, all those truths are truths about you, truths about me, and they are the truths that will prevail in our lives for all eternity. Just join me in praying now. I suggest you just close your eyes wherever you are. Just spend a moment, fresh surrender, to Jesus, say, Lord, I am yours, spirit, soul, and body. And I surrender myself afresh to you now, spirit, soul, and body. Thank you, Lord, for all the truths of the first minute. that through your wonderful love you have forgiven me, made me blameless in your sight, you have made me righteous and totally acceptable to you, you have sanctified me, made me holy, you have even made me perfect forever so that in that perfection you could place me into Christ and you could put the perfect one into me. And I thank you, Lord, for this wonderful, wonderful gift of Christ in me, of the Spirit of Christ living in me. And Lord, I choose to submit my soul, my natural life, to the life of your Spirit, to the life of Christ in me. And Lord, I tell you clearly this morning that I want all the truths of that first minute to be reflected in my life day by day. I understand that as the Father sent Jesus, so you send me and every one of your children. You send us out in peace, and you lead us in that peace. And I thank you, Lord, that I can live at peace with you no matter what is happening to me, no matter what difficulties I have to face, no matter what conflict there is, what rejection there is, no matter what the enemy would bring against me, I thank you, Lord, that nothing can ever destroy the truths of what you have made me in Christ. And nothing can ever rob me of the life of Christ in me. So I thank you, Lord, that you lead me in victory. You lead me and enable me to overcome the circumstances 
even if sometimes, Lord, I have to go through a process where that takes place over a period of time. But I thank you that that's all part of your redeeming purposes in my life. And I thank you, Lord, for the way in which you can use me to impact the lives of others, even when they go through negative things. And Lord, even in the midst of their trials and tribulations, I can bring them the truth of your word and see many saved and healed and restored as a result of that. Thank you that you've made me a witness of the truth, that as the truth lives in me, so the truth will pour out of me. And I thank you, Lord, that you've saved me from the curse of self-pity and you've given me the blessing of Christ in me. And my prayer, Lord, is that the Christ in me will be glorified by all the ways in which I cooperate with him so that, Father, your kingdom will come and your will be done in my life as it is in heaven, that by your mercy and grace you will enable me to live the heavenly life and to touch and impact the lives of others with the life of heaven itself. Thank you, Jesus, for such a wonderful calling on all of our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.